welcome to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Jen. And this is Tara. I uh, hope you guys have had a good week since we've uh, recorded last. I don't remember. It was such a blur. I don't even know what happened. What about you? This I haven't seen week? you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm like, what day is it? Yes, <laughs> it's been it? a crazy, crazy week. I'm excited to be here recording with you in this Enjoying this bottle of wine and some cupcakes you gave for me for my birthday. It's yes. very nice. We finally get to celebrate your birthday a little bit. Uh, only a, what, a week and a half later or so. That's all right. It can be my birthday month. <laughs> Although birthdays aren't as exciting at this age, I do think we need to enjoy every single one of them. Yes, we do. We can't take them for granted. And I was assured by the lady in the self-checkout... That although I have wrinkles, <laughs> what? That she still needs to see my face. I was trying to buy this wine last night when I got off of work, and I had a couple things from my grocery pickup that didn't come in, so the kids needed stuff for lunches, and I ran to Jewel after work, and I don't know. The lady, I was in self checkout, and the lady was must have been having a bad night because I got I did my bottle of wine last because I knew she had to check my ID. Mm-hmm. I had my ID out already. I was in my scrubs like it was like eleven o'clock, right? And yeah, yeah. She, I showed her my ID and she's like, show me your face. So I like looked at her like, this yeah. is my face. And then held my license up at one point next to my face because I didn't understand <laughs> what she was saying. Like, this is my face. This is my face. I don't know. And then she's like, show me your face. So I just kept on staring at her. I was so confused. And then she's like, take off your mask. And I'm like, oh my God. Because yeah, you yeah. don't do that in public right no. now. You don't take off your mask. You could get... People yell at you. Like, I don't want to... So I, like, took off my mask and, like, flashed my face. And she was so mad. And she was like, just because, you know, you have wrinkles doesn't mean you can buy alcohol. And I can't tell anything by just your eyes. And I was like, thank you. Like... Wow. Thank you, Joel, for insulting me. Well, yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, Mm -hmm. if I was underage, I would not be coming in here (laughs) with this purchase. No. I have, like, lunch meat. And, like, coffee creamer, some celery, <laughs> a decent bottle of wine, like... Some scotch tape. Like, yeah, come on, no. people. I mean, I'm not, like... I don't have some Coors Light mm-hmm. and a pack of cigarettes and some cheesy poops. I don't know. I was just... Right. I was, and then I felt bad. I got in the car, because we had been talking about, like, fillers and everything. So I got in the car afterwards, and I was like, oh, maybe I really need to look into that Botox, because she just announced my wrinkles in the self-checkout to everybody, and there was quite a bit of people in there at 11 Really? At 11 o'clock at night? It's it's a busy jewel at all times. As the teen behind you wearing the mask had, like, Boone's Farm, and... She's like, ching, 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 with her fake ID. I'm getting harassed. Boone's Farm, and what was the other one? (laughs) Mad Dog Dog. I don't... I have to Google that. I don't think they make either one of those. I have to wonder, because that was, right, that was, like, the cheapest thing you could throw in your cart, and load up on and oh get away gosh. with it. That's the really the first, the first thing we, I ever drank was that Boone's Farm. Agreed. I, I still think remember. Strawberry Fields yeah, or something. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sorry for your experience. But that's all right. So we're enjoying the wine now, but it makes you think about those fillers and stuff. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Cheers to, cheers to being 40. Cheers. I'm almost I'm there. I'm 41, but, you know, it ain't well, nothing. In our, for, in our 40s, even though I'm not quite there yet. I still got just a few days. Yeah. I'll lump you in anyway, so it'll make me feel better. Anything else going on in your week? Uh, surviving? Barely surviving, I feel like. It's just hitting me from all angles. I have nothing exciting to share. It's all 
crap. Busy work. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I hope next week you have something else yeah, to share with us. Yeah, no, this week has just been, like, putting out fires left and right. There really isn't a whole lot to say. Well, I know you've been working hard on editing and stuff for us, and I appreciate that. Trying to figure it out. I think uh, I'll get there. Bear bear with us, people. Give us a little grace. We're, we're very new to this whole process, and I think, I think it's coming along well, but I'm sure later, like, 100 episode, we're going to look back and go, wow, can we just... Yeah, season. right? Exactly. <laughs> first 20, we're but just going to drop that off. It's good practice it's all still the fun. way around. It's so. still fun. I enjoy it. Well, so this so this month is is going to be our Halloween theme. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. excited to get into Halloween because you know it's my favorite time of the year. It's mine too. Um, yeah. And so I really can't wait to hear what you have to lead us off for the start of Halloween. All right. Well, it's not necessarily Halloween theme themed, but you'll see how I got there once I tell you. So today I'm going to tell you about the serial killer, Dean Coral. Okay. Also known as the Candyman. Ooh, okay, okay. So I have a quick little, my, one of my birthdays, I can't remember which one it was. I think I was in middle school and it always, it always revolved around Halloween movies Mm -hmm. because that was my thing. And so we'd have a sleepover and I would terrorize all my friends with some awful movie. Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. And we watched the Candyman on one of my birthdays. And I think at least two people had to go home early. Oh, I'm sure. It's (laughs) horrific. I was probably like 14. My dad was probably like, yeah, yeah, the Candyman. I'll go grab that. No big deal. Thanks, Dad. Oh my God. <laughs> I appreciated it. And Not it. so much anyone else. No. no yeah. So I can't really wait scary. to hear your story. Well, a big buzzkill is that it doesn't have anything to do with that movie. <sighs> so I chose this also because I thought I was ready to learn all the details about the Candyman, right? Because we hear about the Candyman and the movie, the Candyman, <sighs> the Candyman, the Candyman. And of candy is Halloween. It's candy, you know. So I figured now's the time to learn all the details about this guy. Come to find out he is way darker than I ever imagined really it's bad and I had to debate a lot doing my research and putting the story together about how much I'd actually share about his actual crimes yeah it's bad it's bad there's things I read and I just wanted to not I wanted to erase them from my memory so Dean Coral the Candyman, is responsible for the series of murders known as the Houston mass murder murders they took place between 1970 and 1973 and at least 28 teen boys and young men were abducted, tortured, raped, and murdered. So at this time, this was the most prolific murder until, to date until Gacy came about. Ooh, wow. And you know, I don't know much about this one. I thought I did until I started getting Until you into, went down the rabbit hole? Yeah, until I did. Okay. So although Coral is the so-called face of the Houston mass murderers, he didn't act alone. Uh, he actually had two teen accomplices. Really? Yeah. David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. And the two teens almost worked for him by luring the victims for Coral in exchange for money and gifts. And you hear this sometimes. You do. You do. You do. But I don't think I've ever heard it in this capacity. In this way. I, don't, I mean, like now when we hear it, it's just a little bit of a different... Mm-hmm. Yeah. More high profile. I don't know. You'll see. But now we all wonder where these monsters come from, right? So a little bit about Coral's childhood. He was born on December 24th, 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, Indiana. Indiana. Drink. (laughs) (laughs) To Mary and Arnold Coral, 
who wed on April 3rd, 1939. I'm going to let you do the math there. Mm -hmm. So... Was Mary already pregnant? Was this a shotgun wedding? It sure seems like it. It sounds like it, right. Um, They also had, they have an additional son, Stanley, in 1942. Later on, Coral's mother would claim that his father was very strict and she was very protective. The house was quite uh, turbulent. There was lots of fighting. The marriage was very dysfunctional. And eventually the couple divorced in 1942. Oh, okay. Pretty early. Pretty early. They weren't married for very long. Coral's father, Arnold, was then drafted into the Air Force after the divorce, and he was stationed in Memphis, Tennessee. And Coral's mom, Mary, she tried for a while to raise the boys on her own, but she was relying so heavily on sitters as she worked to support the family that she decided that it was best the boys be near her dad, their dad. So they moved to a trailer home in Memphis. Also around this time, Coral, he's about seven years old now, and he is found to have suffered from a case of undiagnosed rheumatic fever. Oh, okay. Right, which left him with a heart condition, a heart murmur, essentially. And so this forces him to be, like, sidelined on sports, and he has to sit out in PE. We seem devastated, but it's believed that he didn't care. Because he was kind of shy. He didn't like that stuff. So he really liked the idea that he could sit on the side with an excuse. He wasn't forced to participate okay. anymore. So that was like a bonus. That was like a bonus for him. Um, and it, he, he really didn't socialize with other kids. He was very quiet. He was the loner type. But it was noted that he did have um, emotion towards others, especially his brother. Now, while Mary is in Memphis with the boys, her and Arnold, um, they have a reconciliation. And they decide they're going to remarry. Oh. So they remarry in 1950, and they move the family to Pasadena. Wow, you don't, you don't often hear of that. Oh, don't worry, because they're going to call it off again in 1953 <laughs> for good. So they got married and divorced twice. Wow, okay. Everything I read said it was amicable. They just couldn't get along. They had love for each other, but they just couldn't get along, and the boys supposedly stayed in touch with their dad. Okay. So far, it really doesn't sound too bad, honestly. I've no. known people who are amazing people who have gone through much worse. Well, in the record, for the record, Dean Coral, at no time, there's no report of any abuse. Okay. Mental, physical, sexual, nothing. He's There's nothing. Okay. So they really are, they were struggling to try to find out what, why. Why. Yeah, what happened. So now it's 1955, and Mary... Coral's mom marries again. She likes to get married. <laughs> Maybe she likes the dress. I don't know. <laughs> so now she's marrying a traveling salesman, Jake West. And they move the family to Vider, where they also have a daughter together named Joyce. While they're in Vider, Coral's mom and stepdad decide they're going to open a candy company out of their garage. Oh. So apparently... A friend of the family had told Mary how wonderful she is at making these pecan candies. Okay, okay. Um, so they decided to go into business for themselves. So like a Fannie Mae, but out of the garage. Out of the garage. Okay. I don't know if that was common back then, but... You never know, right? They were doing There's it. been a lot of businesses that have started in garages. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, just, I'll let it go for now. I. So his stepdad, Jake, sold the candies while the family made and delivered the candies. Okay. It's um it was said that Coral was actually one of the delivery the, the delivery kids. 
don't know if there's a better name for that. But he was the delivery man. So at the age of 16, he worked day and night while attending school. Again, sounds tragic, but apparently he thrived on that because he really didn't dig school. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of kids that had other jobs and things that they were also working really hard to help the family. And you know what? Now that I think about it, kudos to her. I mean, she was entrepreneurial and she found a way to make extra money for the family. And yeah. people were willing to Someone buy Someone told this, her she was good at something amazing. and she decided to capitalize on it. Yeah. So he was known to have average grades. His only real interest was band and he was still a loner as a teenager. He graduated in 1958, again, very average, and then the family decided they were going to move to Houston Heights, and there they actually opened a storefront candy company. Oh, okay. Known as Pecan Prince. I've never heard of it, but okay. I'm not sure where this comes from, but his mom at this point insists that he moves back to Indiana to stay and help with his grandmother for a few years so maybe she was sick I'm not sure I couldn't find any more details except for that he was back in Indiana from 1960 to 1962 to help his grandmother okay because that's what his mom wanted him to do it was rumored that while he was there he met and dated a local girl who actually even proposed to him really that was a hard no and he stopped talking to her immediately oh, wow. and moved back to Houston, re- resuming his place in the family business. Okay. And that's another thing you don't really hear of much is the girl proposing. No. I mean, just, right? Even, especially like, back then. She was, apparently the conversation went something like, I have something to tell you. And he says, what? And she says, I'm getting married. And he says, to who? And she's like, you. And then he's like, click. <laughs> It's kind of the way... Oh, wow. And then he, like, split ASAP and was like, Peace out. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that's not going to do much for your self-esteem, but I can guarantee she probably didn't propose again. Um, (laughs) Poor girl. Unfortunately for Mary, she divorces again. Uh, Her and Jake get divorced in 1963, and she decides that she's going to form her own candy company. So she develops the Coral Candy Company. I still haven't heard of it. No. Naming Dean, the candy man, vice president, and then his younger brother is the secretary and treasurer. So in this small area, both candy companies are still going. He's got Pecan Prince, and she's got the Coral Candy Company. And they're still kind of seeing each other. Wow, that's really weird. Just that whole situation sounds very complicated. So complicated. So they continue having both candy companies. They're seeing each other and they say, hey, you know what? Things weren't so bad. We should get married again. Stop it. Nope. (laughs) So they do. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And then they get divorced again. Mm -hmm. Good God, Mary. (laughs) Stop it. You need to run this past your best friend. Stop. (laughs) I do not want to host any more bridal showers. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, so... This year, uh, while all of this is going on, there's also a male employee of the Coral Candy Company that tells Mary that her son has made sexual advances to him. What do you think Mary did? Brushed it off and didn't think twice about it. She fired him. Done and done. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. She got rid of the guy. Uh, She wanted to quiet the situation, but she also removed the temptation from her son. Okay. So that explains why he was scared to get married. 
to a woman? Well, according to Mary, which this sounds very logical considering her track record, but that she just thought that Dean didn't seem to think that marriage really worked out. So he was shying away from relationships. Where Okay, okay. I could see you explaining that away as a mom who's made the choices that you've made in your life and having kids see, okay, time and again... Things haven't worked out. Right, right. And all in all, the men in his life weren't bad guys. Even, you know, Mary would say, you know, Jake wasn't abusive, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. They just... They just didn't. They just didn't, they just didn't get along. Yeah. And his father, although strict, that doesn't mean he's abusive. It just means that he right. expects order and respect, and that's that's okay. Perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. We all need different kinds of leaders in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Coral does a short time in the army. He was drafted in August of 1964. He only serves ten months. He applied for a hardship while he was there saying that he needed to be home to help with the family business. So his hardship was granted, and he was given an honorable discharge in June of 1965. Okay. It was said that during this time in the Army is when he realized his attraction to men was kind of solidified. Mm-hmm. And it's supposedly that's when he had, like, his first sexual encounter with another male was during that time i couldn't i couldn't find any other it could be hearsay even but that's what it's it's said um he returns to houston and his role of vice president of the coral candy company at this time the candy company moves across the street from a heights grade school oh insert cringe insert cringe I see where this is going, and I don't like it. It's not good. Here he become very, very, so popular with the kids. Handing out candy with a friendly face and a welcoming demeanor. People in the neighborhood would gush about how great Dean was uh, with the kids. They discouraged their kids from stopping by the candy company. Mm-hmm. But not because of the creepy situation, but because they were distracting Dean from his business. You have to remember the time, though. It's a no, weird I do. time. I do. I mean, now they tell you if somebody's paying too close attention to, to the children. kids and not the adults, like, there's a huge red We've flag. We've had those conversations. We've had those conversations. But back then, they didn't think anything of it. They no. were like, this is a sweet They're guy. They're like, thank you oh so much gosh, for putting up with our kids. We keep telling them to stop by here. Thank you so much for, for giving them the candies. I apologize for them disrupting you from your business. Right. My then gosh. you... Oh, yeah. genius on his part, yeah. like, for flipping it Twisted. around. Oh, that's just, okay, keep going. It's, I know, right? So even the principal told the children, stop going to the candy company across the street. They had to cross the street to get there. He told them it wasn't safe. The principal even asked Dean to stop handing out candies to the children. Oh, okay. So maybe the principal was on something. Now... Dean, being the good guy that he was, he puts in a pool table. Ah. Yep, that's right. When the principal asks you to stop giving candies to the children, you put in a pool table in the back room so that you can draw the teen crowd to hang around the business all hours, day and night. Mm. Okay. Wow. I'm just thinking back to all of those hangouts that were... 
available to all of the troubled teens. And hey, parents, if you're, if you're working and you're late, hey, just send your kids over here. They're going to be watched. They're going to be, be okay. They're going to be safe. They're going to be around other kids. It's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what this was. Wow. Okay. The employees of the candy company took notice that Dean especially enjoyed the company of teen boys. He even flirted with some of the teen male employees. Some of the the teen male employees refused to stick around late to clean if they knew they were going to be alone with him. Oh, that's not good. You know those creepy vans that your parents told you about? Oh, he drove one? Yeah, he had one. Mm -hmm. And he even redecorated it with a carpet and a couch and a surfboard rack so he could shuttle the kids to the beach. Of course he did. Of course he did. So free treats, an unsupervised area to hang out with rides to the beach. No children, no. It's all a bad idea. (sighs) It's textbook at this point, but not back then. Mm. And that, my people, is the beginning of the Candyman. Wow. Oh my gosh, no. No! It's so red flag now, but then Well, now we can look at it and clearly go, just stop. Yeah. Stay away. We've had enough stories to tell us. Put surveillance on this guy and nail him before yeah. things get too far. Uh, so in 1967, David Brooks was just 12 years old when he started to hang out with Coral regularly. He was obviously one of the kids who spent a lot of the time in the back room of the candy company playing pool. He would participate in the trips to the beach. He would enjoy motorcycle rides with Coral. Mm. And Coral even allowed Brooks to drive the motorcycle himself and gave him money whenever he asked. Of course, because he was grooming this poor kid. That's what I said. I'm like, parent alert. This is also known today as grooming. Oh, see? Unfortunately, I don't think we knew that situation then as we do now. Yes, you're correct. Like, now it's very glaringly obvious. Back then it was, he's just a nice guy, and he, you know, takes an interest in our son, and that's amazing, and yeah. thank you, and it's so, just no, it's, it, yeah. I mean, now it's glaringly obvious, but that at, at that time it wasn't. So, Brooke's parents divorced during all this, and his mom moved about 85 miles away. So, when Brooks would come and stay with his dad, he would actually stay with Dean Coral. At this time... It's around 1970, and Brooks actually, he's 15, and he drops out of high school. Okay. And he moves in with his dad. His dad's house is considered his primary residence, but he's actually mostly staying at mm-hmm. Carl's apartment. This is where a sexual relationship develops, and he would pay Brooks for allowing him to perform oral sex on the teen. Now... Mary, she is, she's just a sucker for love, and she's getting married again. Oh my gosh, Mary. (laughs) So she gets married, and she divorces, and she sells the candy company and moves to Colorado with her daughter, Joyce. Okay. Obviously, then, the candy man's out of a business. He begins working as an electrician, and he stays in touch with his mom by phone. But he, at this point, after she moves to Colorado, they never see each other again. Hmm. Okay. So that's in, in between 1969 and 1970. 
So was there like a dispute there? Was he upset because she was taking the company? I didn't say that no. he was upset. No. I mean, he got a job as an electrician, which I don't think he genuinely enjoyed. At this point, he was already leading boys kind of back to his apartment to hang out. Mm, okay. I mean, he already had built that trust in the community. I wonder if yeah. that guy. Oh, okay. So, 1970, this is when, this is when the stuff really starts to happen. Between September of 1970 and August of 1973, at least 28 males between the ages of 13 and 20 were abducted, tortured, raped, and murdered by Coral. Um, yeah, it's a lot. That is a lot. In a short And it just escalated quickly. Of... What happened? So as the abductions and the murders, as time went on, they rapidly increased. Mm-hmm. They started happening faster and faster well, and faster. Almost like he, he couldn't be satisfied anymore. Like he needed to like keep going. It's very crazy. So a large amount of his victims were in the mid-teen boy, mid-teen boys, um, they all living in Houston Heights, which is a relatively low-income area of downtown Houston. So we can see how, well, even though they were reported missing, a lot of them were seen as, like, runaways. The police really just truly didn't have the resources to mm-hmm. investigate all of these boys being missing. And again, when you're saying that they're from a poor area, he could have just been luring them with promises of money for something. Oh, yeah. For, for who knows what, but, I mean, it could have even been anything from a small errand to sexual favors. Who yeah. knows? He was evil. Wow. So, Coral didn't act, he didn't act alone. He had help from his two teen accomplices, Elmer Henley and David Brooks. In most of the abductions, um, the victims were even a friend of one or the other. Oh, that's even... It's bad. Not that it's, you... it's bad enough, but not when you think that your friends well, are They brought their friends. To him. Mm-hmm. Now, just a little a little bit of its and bits about some of the victims. So four of the victims were actually two sets of brothers. Oh. Okay. So two of the brothers were murdered together after being lured um, in to the van after leaving a bowling alley. Oh, my God. With the promise of a lift home. And all I can think of right now is that parents lost two sons two at once two danny and jerry waldrop 15 and 13 and jerry is known as the youngest of coral's victims now i did read somewhere else that one of the victims was as young as nine but i only read that in one place okay and i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't find it anywhere else and supposedly that person lived across the street from him but i like i said i only read it in one place and i couldn't find anywhere else so i don't i don't know the accuracy of that now, the other two brothers, they were murdered, actually, in separate years. He got two brothers from the same family in two different years in the same area. Wow. What God. the fuck? That's just insane. That's insane. That's just evil and on another level of... Mm-hmm. Oh, my so, God. The older of the two brothers was actually a former employee of the Coral Candy Company, Bill Balch. He was 17, and he was murdered in May of 1972. His younger brother was actually murdered in 1973, Michael Balch. Of fi- he was 15. And it doesn't say, like, 
his connection or what they think happened or how he no they don't really they just went missing and they just didn't know who what happened yeah they didn't i mean and a lot of like and that's one of the things where i said i didn't go into a lot of detail because each one of the victims a lot of them had like search parties and this and that and there's so many stories behind each one unfortunately i just don't have the time to go into all right. of them that makes sense um so then the only other one that i that I wanted to kind of point out because most of them, like I said, most of the victims were lured by Henley and Brooks. Their mm-hmm. friends or young boys that they lured in promise of a party or a ride somewhere or money. Another one of the former fam- former employees of the Coral Candy Company, Mal- Mally Winkle, was also one of his victims. So at any point are they starting to go, wow, there's a lot of employees at this candy company going missing? I'm going to get there. Okay, okay. So, like I said, the boys were often lured into the van or mm-hmm. a car. So he was also known to kind of have flashy cars, of course, to mm-hmm. get boys a- oh, attention. Yeah. Or boys he would let cars. them he would let them drive them. Hey, you want to get a ride in my fast car? And then after being taken to Coral's residence, they were giving drugs and alcohol, which of course a lot of them wanted. They would sniff paint until they passed out um some of the boys were even tricked to putting in handcuffs and then they were stripped naked and either tied to coral's bed or this horrifying device referred to as the torture board and there are pictures of it online you can find it and it's horrific really a homemade plywood torture board okay when you say that all I can think of is that device where you are tied up and then they stretch you. I don't know why. I it's kind of like that. Like it's a big that, plywood board and it's got like handcuffs on it. And... God. Yeah. So he just had a specific area and he just, this is just awful. Yeah. Okay. He had a goal. Like he, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So here in Coral's residence, they were tortured and raped for sometimes days. So in the beginning, it seemed like it was just a couple hours, but then as the crimes went on, the torture sessions just seemed to escalate from hours into days. Well, he probably realized he didn't have an endless pool of victims, and he had to take his time. Or he needed, yeah, he like needed more to satisfy himself, or most were killed by strangulation, but some with also a twenty-two caliber pistol. The bodies were wrapped in plastic, and they were buried in one of four areas. There was He had a rented boat shed. Uh, there was a beach on Bolivar Peninsula, a woodland near Lake Sam Rayburn, and this is where his family owned a cabin, and then there was a beach in Jefferson County. But most of the bodies were buried in the boat shed. Did they recover what they think were all the bodies? So, I kind of go over that at the end. Yes. So, 26. So, there's a total of 28 victims. 26 of the victims' bodies were recovered and identified and confirmed. The 27th victim was confirmed, but the body was never found. And the 28th still to this day remains unidentified. And it probably won't be for the simple fact that from what I read, most of the loved ones of the immediate loved ones of the victims are now oh, gone. They're now gone. Yeah, mm. like there's only a couple of them left. That's so sad. I hate when there's oh, that's so horrible victims. And then he sometimes even forced his victims to call or write their family. 
So they thought they voluntarily left and yes. they stopped looking for them? Yeah, so I'll read one, <sighs> one letter that he made his, his victim write. Dear Daddy, I have decided to go to Austin because I have a good job offer. I am sorry that I have decided to leave, but I just had to go. P.S. I will be back in like August. Hope you understand, but I had to go. Daddy, I hope you know I love you. Your son, Billy. Um, and this was written by Billy Lawrence. That just sounds off. Yeah. If I were to really so, receive something like that from my child, I wouldn't buy it. So there was, yeah, family. That's exactly what family said. If anything, it raised more of a red flag. Mm-hmm. No one thought their family members were okay. No. 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 So it's believed that he had his first victim was 18-year-old Jeffrey Conan, a University of Texas student, and he was hitchhiking, which was very popular then and now sounds terrifying. It was very popular then. I hitchhiked. I, that's, I'm so glad I love to tell about it. But anyways, so there's this, he was a student. He was hitchhiking from school to his parents' home, home also to see his girlfriend in Houston, on September 25th, 1970. So when he started hitchhiking from school, he was actually with his friend. They separated as they got closer to home, and he was dropped off alone at an intersection near where Coral lived at the time. Okay. And was never seen again. So it's believed that Coral offered him a ride, and he took up the ride. And So Brooks... Eventually led police to his buried body at High Island Beach. He was found buried under lime. He was naked, a cloth gag in his mouth, hands and feet bound, wrapped in plastic. It shows that he died of manual asphyxiation. So that was his first victim. That's his first victim, right. September 25th, 1970. Does he talk at all? Does he say what made him go that route? I'll get to that. Okay. Um, so around the same time as well. So now you remember now Brooks is like, I don't want to say his pet, but he like, he looks up to Coral. Well, and I don't want to assume anything here, but it almost seems like maybe his dad wasn't paying as much attention because he was supposedly living with his dad, but spent all his time at this guy's house. And I don't know about what you think, but yeah, I mean, obviously there was some dysfunction there and, and it was fulfilled in a way that was not healthy. Correct. So around this time, Brooks shows up at Coral's place, and he unknowingly interrupted a torture and rape of two teen boys. Coral was naked. He was, like, walking around the, the apartment, agitated. Brooks sees this, and, and he discovers the two boys. He sees them tied to Coral's bed and, like, leaves. Now, Coral decides that he is going to offer Brooks something to keep him silent. So he offers to to buy Brooks a car. Oh, okay. And he purchases Brooks a green Chevy Corvette in order to keep his mouth shut. And then he tells them that the boys are part of a porn ring. Apparently that makes things okay. And then he also tells him that he works for the porn ring and that he offers him $200 for any future boys that he would bring. Mm, okay. So this is how he tells him... A, so this is him explaining to him and trying to make it sound like this is a legitimate thing, even though... 
Right. And I'm like, ah, that's still not like okay, but yeah. And he's like, so bring but me this the, kid's young and also needs money and has no guidance and and trust this guy and believes what he has to say and is probably a little bit naive in the sense that he's yeah. gonna go along with it as long as everything makes the situation okay. Yeah. Right. Right. So he. I mean, I don't know what you say when he's like, I'll give you $200 for every young friend you bring me. And yeah, I don't think, it doesn't sound like Brooks had a lot of opportunity. So, Brooks officially accepts Coral's offer when he lured 14-year-old teens James Glass and Danny Yates on December 15th, 1970, away from a religious rally. So, Glass was an acquaintance of Brooks. So, he had trust in him, lured him back to the apartment for a party. Um, both boys were tied to opposite sides of the torture board, raped, strangled, and buried in the boat shed with Brooks' help. Okay, so now he's officially in on it, realizing this is not He's not, not there for any of it, from what I understand, which was very gray. And I kind of tell that a little bit as I get into a couple more of the stories. So they do, they help with the burying. Mm-hmm. In a couple instances... There's a gray area of the murder. There's another, like I talk about Elmer Henley. He gets more involved in the murder aspect of it. But as far as, like, the rape and the torture and that, that's all coral. Okay. A lot of times the boys would bring them there and leave with their money, and then they would come back to, like... In the beginning, at this point, they don't even know that is what hap- that's what's happening. They still believe... He still believes... That he's bringing them for the porn ring. As time goes on, he gets busted, and mm-hmm. they figure it out, and they realize that they're not... But that's not okay. Well, no, and it's not like I'm sure they didn't say, hey, come back to the house. You can be part of a porn ring. No, right. They come were lured there. Right. You they know? were lured there for a party yeah. and, like, a good time. Right. So either way, these kids... It's not right, but they didn't... He knew what he was doing was wrong and it didn't know putting the them in a bad situation. But he did Correct. not know he was bringing them there and they were being tortured and raped and, like, murdered. During the winter... So this is December of 1970. Okay. The first murder started, so, and this is actually the second. So the first, I shouldn't say that, one, two, three. This is the fifth and sixth murder. The first one was the University of Texas student in which Coral acted completely on his own. Then he had a set of boys that he acted on his own, and then Brooks brought okay. two. Then enter winter of 1971. It's like December, later December, and Elmer Henley enters the scene. So he's just 15 years old when Brooks introduced him to Coral. Henley was led to Coral with a deal to make some money. Okay. Like we said. So they want to bring in some kid that doesn't know anything, some new kid that he's going to enlist the help of? Well, so it was said to believe that, and what Brooks said is that Henley was intended to be a victim. Okay. So he, he knew that Brooks knew Henley needed money. And knew that's how he would get them, get him to the apartment. Okay, so he was intended. Okay, because I was wondering how that all. Yeah, no, he wanted. He was going to be a victim. Okay, but somehow Coral decided that he would make a better accomplice, and then he initially told Henley that he was part of an organized theft. So in the beginning, Brooks and Henley did some burglaries for him, and they were paid small amounts of money. Then Coral asked Henley if he would be willing to kill if necessary. And Henley's like, yeah. So after this little test, Coral made Henley the same offer. So he basically said, 
$200 for any boy that you bring me. And he explained to him that he recruited boys to be sold in the homosexual sex slave ring out of Dallas. No. That's not okay. No, it's not okay. But Henley says at this point, like, ding, 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 like, it all goes off in his head. Because he was personally taking notice at the amount of boys that were disappearing in his neighborhood. Eight boys in the last year, and two of them were actually his close friends that he personally helped look for. Wow, and he still goes along with this instead of busting this guy? Backstory on Henley. Oh my gosh. His father was an abusive alcoholic. His mom was pretty strict and religious. She did best that she could do to raise the four boys, but his parents divorced in 1970. Um, At that time before the divorce, Henley was a very good student. He was superior in his grades, but he had to take on some part-time jobs to help support the family. His grades fell. He dropped out of school at the age of 15. Insert the candy man. So initially, Henley refused Coral's so-called offers, but after a few months and some severe hardships financially for his family, he gave in. Okay, that's awful. The whole hardship with the family, that must have been what got him. Yeah. But uh, can you imagine if your friends had gone missing? You now know they're, they're dead. You helped look for them. So later on, Coral confesses to him that, like, yeah, your friends... Okay. They're dead. He tells them later. Because at this point in the, you know, in the timeline, Hanley just suspects. Like, he's like, wow, there's a lot of kids going missing. Everybody knows there's a lot of kids going missing, mm-hmm. but nobody's doing anything about it. It's, I mean, there's, I shouldn't say that. There's flyers going up, and there's search parties, and there's this, and. But they have nothing. He somehow just. Under the radar. Yeah. For all of it. It is crazy. Ah, uh, I mean, it, mm, go ahead. So now we're at. The 10th victim. Now, I skipped some in between because, I, like I said, I can't go into every single one. I wish I could. Um, and this is when Henley lured his first victim with Coral. And this was in February of 1972. So they talked, and they devised a plan for them to invite a boy back to Coral's house. They would have Henley put on some handcuffs and then release them with a hidden key that he had in his pocket. But then they would convince the boy to do the same thing. Like, hey, how fast can you get these handcuffs off? Blah, blah, blah. Look, it only took me this long. But really, he has a key. And then when they do it to the boy, there is no key. So they drive around Houston Heights, and they persuade this teen male to enter Coral's cool GTX mm-hmm. with the promise of marijuana. Back at Coral's place, the plan was set in motion. The teen unknowingly placed the handcuffs on behind his back, following Henley's lead. Mm-hmm. Coral quickly covered the teen's mouth with tape and bound his feet. Henley left the teen alone with Coral so he could be sold into the homosexual sex ring. This is still not okay. Never in any point in time was any explanation okay. So now it's never okay. But Coral made good on the deal and paid him the 200 bucks. And at that point in time, he was so desperate for the $200. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. So, the victim, it wasn't confirmed by them, but the victim is thought to be a 17-year-old acquaintance of Henley and Brooks by the name of Willard Branch. Okay. So, he was um, assaulted 
tortured, raped, shot, and buried under the boat shed. So now the trio, there's a trio. Now there's Coral, Henley, and Brooks, and they're picking up momentum. They're between that, that victim with Henley, the 10th victim, there'll be 18 more innocent young men that are lured to torture and death over the next year and a half. Mm, That's a lot. That's a lot. By June of 1973, the killings accelerate rapidly. There's almost one every week mm-hmm. when you look at the timeline. And it's honestly, crazy. In one July, is too many, but it's just it's a lot. No, but it goes from like one here and then one here to like once you get to the end of June and July, it's like one, 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 one. Like wow, it's they just started. I don't know. It was crazy. It was but, like a spree. Yeah. So Henley later told police that Coral would voice that he needed to do a new boy, and that. He was, like, insatiable. Mm. Like, he was angry, and they had to do everything they could just to almost get him to quiet. Well, you know what? I wonder if at some point it wasn't just both of them looking at each other going, we better find somebody or we're going to be next. Yes. So Henley actually talks about how he enlisted. He attempted to listen to the U.S. Navy, and he was... He was rejected because mm-hmm. he never graduated from high school. But he actually said that he could never leave anyways because he knew that if he left, Dean would go after one of his little brothers. Oh, God. Oh. So they were in. They were in deep. They didn't know how to get out. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. caught. And... It, like, it just, it's crazy how it escalated, right? They went mm-hmm. from like... Well, and I'm sure they, they thought, they probably laid in bed at night and thought about everything and even thought, what if I go to the police? What if I do this? What if I do that? But your family's safety is ultimately your only concern. At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, during July of 1973, kind of when this pickup of a killing spree happened, Brooks moved in with his then pregnant fiance. Okay. So at that point, just Henley was kind of feeling the pressure because it was him alone to produce the boys that Coral was demanding. Okay. Okay. So Brooks and Henley weren't sharing this, um, the tendencies that Coral was, apparently. If he had a, if Brooks had a pregnant fiance, he. Yeah, no, so nowhere in this did they ever participate. So they just dropped off and left every time, or helped bury the body. Bury the body. So Henley does get involved in a little bit. There was a couple of instances where he would end up killing one of the people. But they never participated in, like, the torture and the rape. And it was almost like at the end, at some point, they would, I don't want to say put people out of their misery, but it was almost like Coral would be like, okay, I'm done. The fact that this monster was able to do this for To manipulate these kids. But, I mean, think about it. It, And They're 17. Mm -hmm. It started when they were 12. At this point, they're brainwashed into... They don't know any other lifestyle. It just is what it is. Uh, So, by August of 1973, the trio really starts to begin falling apart. Like I said, Brooks is stepping back because he's 
you know, he moved in with his fiance, who's pregnant, and he, so he's not, he kind of falls off the grid at that point. And then that's when Henley's still working hard to, to produce these, these boys for Coral. So on August 7th, he picks up 19-year-old Timothy Curley, who's an acquaintance, and he's going to bring, that, bring him to a party at Coral's Pasadena home. He's now in Pasadena. He moves around a lot because he doesn't well, because move. Now it's going to be obvious. He doesn't move very far. He always stays in his like little shopping district of Houston Heights, but he moves around that oh, area. Okay. So he's but he's never far from there. Never but minutes away. Uh, so they he brings Timothy Curley back to Coral's house and they sniff paint. They consume alcohol. Sniffing paint must have been like a big deal back then. There's a lot of huffing going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they, until about midnight when they leave for food. So the two of them drive in Curly's car back to Houston Heights. They get food, and then Henley mentions how he wants to swing by and check on a friend. This friend is 15 year old Rhonda Williams. And she is home, and she has been beaten by her drunken father. So Rhonda's looking for a place to kind of hide out while her father sobers up, and Henley invites her to hang out with them. Oh, okay. So she climbs in the back of Curly's car, and the three of them head back to Coral's house. They get there around 3 a.m., way past my bedtime, (laughs) and Coral's basically like, who's the chick? Mm -hmm. Oh, I figured that was coming. It's like the first chick that's like ever been there, ever. I'm sure he didn't probably say who's the chick, but he was clearly not happy there was a lady in the house. I mean, I was wondering where this was going to go, for sure. It was not good. Super pissed. Uh, after an explanation about William's father, it appears to everybody that Coral had kind of climbed, had kind of calmed down. So they all began to get high. They're smoking marijuana and drinking bear, beer, bear, drinking beer, but <laughs> bear beer, bear beer, <laughs> growlers. <laughs> Uh, but Coral, Coral's like kind of watching on. He's drinking beer, but he's kind of like watching intensely, and it's making everyone feel a little bit uncomfortable. Probably. But that doesn't stop them from doing drugs. So they do drugs and they drink beer until they pass out. Not a good idea. I pick just don't do it. There's yeah. so many don't do it's in this story. No. But we all learn from these stories, and that's why we have don't do it's now. Let's hope. So I'm not passing judgment. I'm just wishing I was there to say no. Henley wakes up face down with his mouth taped to being handcuffed and his feet are already bound. Next to him, Timothy Curley is naked. Williams is still dressed, but both are gagged and bound with nylon rope laying face down. Mm. So apparently Coral was still pissed about Henley bringing the girl. Apparently, I was wondering if this was going to happen at some point. Yeah, so he tells Henley now he's going to have to kill all three of them. (sighs) After raping and assaulting Curly first. Business to send to, apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coral took Curly into the kitchen. Or, not Curly, I'm sorry. Coral took Henley into the kitchen, and he threatened him with a .22 caliber pistol in his stomach. Basically said, like, I'm going to kill you, but first I have other things to take care of first, but you're all going to die. Isn't that what always happens in, like, the stories where, like, you keep the guy talking, and then you're like, what's going to happen next, and how'd you do it? And then, okay. 
Like, so I that's see exactly where we're goes. at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the story? So Henley decides that he's going to promise to participate in the torture and rape of both Curly and Williams. So he convinces Coral that he's going to join them. Just let me go. So he takes off the handcuffs. They go back to the bedroom where Williams is tied to the torture board on her back. And Curly is tied to the other side on his stomach. So Dean Coral, he begins to undress. And then he tells Henley to cut off Williams' clothes. Because he wants them to rape the teens on opposite sides of the board at the same time. Please, God, strike these readings from my memory. Mm -hmm. Henley starts to cut off William's clothes with a hunting knife while Coral actively starts to torture Curly. So Curly's, they, they talk, Williams talks about it later, how he's like screaming for God to save him and all. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible things that I'm going to spare you all from. Mm. But Williams asks Henley while he's doing this, she says, is this for real? And Henley says yes. And William asks, are you going to do anything about it? Man up. Do something yeah. right now. Yeah. So then Henley, Henley asks Coral if he can take Williams into the other room. And Coral didn't respond because he was very into whatever he was doing. Henley noticed that Coral's gun was sitting on the nightstand. So he grabbed it. And he sh- pointed it at Coral and he shouted, You've gone far enough, Dean. So Coral approached Henley saying, Kill me, Wayne. So he did. Henley shot Coral in the forehead as he lunged at him. Then again, twice in the shoulder as Coral continued to move forward towards him. Coral then spun around in the doorway, entering the hallway, where Henley fired three additional shots into his lower back and his shoulder. Coral collapsed naked in the hallway. Henley then released Williams and Curly from the board, and they all dressed. They discussed what they should do. Henley wanted to leave, but Curly encouraged that they call the police. Okay. All three were standing outside the house and the gun on the ground in front of them when police arrived. That's really sad. Yeah. All were taken into police custody. Henley confessed to the murder of Dean Coral on August 8th, 1973. So when you said, does, does he have anything to say for himself? He doesn't. He kind of got the easy way out. Mm-hmm. He got shot. So no one ever gets to hear his side of the story. Mm. I'm sure it was a disgusting, awful story anyway. I have to wonder if it was like this suppressed feeling of homosexuality because it wasn't accepted at that time. I, it's there, there's no excuse for any of those things, but... I mean, we've all heard stories of, of that and then people being disowned mm-hmm. or, you know. Oh, and at this time, it was very much so. People would get mm-hmm. fired, like you'd lose your job. Yeah. And it was openly frowned upon. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll never have those answers, but... So, Henley told the police everything. And at first, they didn't believe him. They thought this was like some drug-fueled rampage miss mm-hmm. they just they didn't they were like what are you talking about uh but then as he started to spill names the police recognized them as missing boys yeah so upon 
and obviously this is going on at the station upon investigating the house the floor where the where the three teens had been um had been covered in a thick plastic sheeting mm-hmm. the police uh found the plywood torture board it measured seven by three feet with handcuffs in each corner uh, they also found a large hunting knife, rolls of clear plastic tape, which was or clear plastic, which was the same type that they used to cover the floor, a portable radio rigged to a pair of dry cells to increase the volume, thin glass tubes that were used for sexual torture, and lengths and lengths of nylon rope. Oh, and then eight pairs of handcuffs. Yeah. I mean, this guy was he'd His been collecting van? this stuff for a while, and oh, he, he knew he, exactly what he was doing, and it was methodical. And he, his yeah. his fancy van parked in the driveway. Well, it, times have changed since trying to like lure, you know, pick up the kids for the fun mm-hmm. day at the beach. So now the rear windows of the van were blacked out. Mm-hmm. Well, because now it was transporting bodies, right? There was police found a coil of rope, a swatch of bag of beige rug that was covered in soil stains. A wooden crate with air holes drilled in the sides. There was pegboards inside the rear of the van where that were rigged with hooks and rings for like oh, holding yeah. people. And then in his backyard there was another wooden crate that was found with drill holes in the sides and that crate actually had um, visible strands of human hair. Yeah, I mean, you've you got everything you need right there, and you just need to find the burial sites. So, Brooks, the member of the trio, wasn't there for this. Remember, he, like, fell oh, off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they were having a baby, and he was... So, after all of this, he turned himself in, but he denied any involvement in the murders. Well, and it's easy for him to say, because nobody's there to count, like, to say, well, wait a minute... And I'm not saying he did. I'm not saying he was involved. There's so for how much, much new, but... The stories for every victim is so different. And like I said, their primary role was luring. It seems like Henley got a little bit more sucked into it. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in his sentencing. And Well, and you said that he threatened his family. It's, yeah. So... Now, um, Brooks and Henley did help in recovering the victims. Okay. Uh, all of them were strangled and or shot with that same twenty two caliber pistol. Most still had ligatures around the neck when they were buried. Every victim was sodomized and visually sexually tortured. Mm. Um, the genitals had visible bite marks. Oh, there were items still inserted into their rectums. Glass tubes were inserted into their urethas and then broken. No, what? Whoa. It's like, I'm giving you like the Mary Poppins version of the things that I read. That's fucked up. Their mouths were taped and when they were castrated, they were buried with their genitals in a bag next to them. So, and I'm giving you, that's like, the very... It's like the, wow. It's like the Disney version of the things that I read. So, like I said, there was 28 victims in total. 26 victims 
their identities have been confirmed with the bodies. Mm-hmm. The 27th was the identity was confirmed, although no body was ever recovered. And then the 28th is still unidentified. An interesting fact. Remember Rhonda Williams? Mm-hmm. Her boyfriend was a victim of Coral in March of 1972. Oh, really? That's how small the circle was in that area. But that just makes All you wonder. All of these boys went missing from the same area. How are they not putting well, this together? Well, you have to wonder how many more there are because there's, in, during this time in that area, 42 boys went missing. Well, and you always hear, too, about people saying, well, we had, and I'm sure not all of them were victims of of corals, but just with any other serial killer hunting in a certain ground, a lot of the unexplained cold cases are, well, it could have been him, right? It could have been, Mm -hmm. they could, and very well, it very well could have been, but then it also very well couldn't have been, and then you hope that they don't, that doesn't lead the police in a direction that doesn't help that case. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, I mean, and and they, the police have said... We have nothing to, to lead us to believe that there's any more associated mm-hmm. with this crime. They have no they have no reason to look. But it's just crazy that that many... Well, it was enough. And, and I guess if these bodies are found and they're found in this exact manner, then they know without question it was this guy. Because this was... This M.O. that he had is unlike any that I've heard it's of. sick. And then... So Brooks and Hunley, when they they obviously tell their story when they're confessing, and they, they offer a, a lot of detail. They really don't hold much back. And then Brooks even tells of a time where Henley knocked him out. So he shows up at Coral's house. Now remember, the three of them are working together. Mm-hmm. Brooks shows up. He's the one who introduced Henley into the circle. Mm-hmm. He shows up. Henley knocks him out as he enters the house. Coral then ties Brooks to the bed and, and assaults him repeatedly for days. Then releases him. They never speak of it. And Brooks continues to assist Coral on the abductions. Wow. What? Yeah, it's... But again, these, these kids were... They, they were, were brainwashed. Oh, they it was were almost babies like, um, when babies when they were brought into this. And not to make an excuse for them, but that's why I talked a lot about in this story, a lot about the, the people, right? The, more than the victims, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, again, I mean, uh, he knew uh, Coral was as, as, as sick as he was in what he did. He was sick in the fact that he brought in these kids that had nothing i mean they trusted him they believed in him he even groomed them and they he was exactly. very smart it was very calculated they felt they had to have felt like they had nowhere to go or nowhere to turn there was no way out agreed i agree 100 percent um so henley was found guilty of six murders so and that's where i said there was that gray area where Henley actually participated. There was mm-hmm. a couple times where he did actually strangle someone and shoot six people. So he was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences in prison. He did not get convicted for the death of Dean Coral. It was deemed self-defense. Now, this guy has or had a Facebook page I looked for it. I couldn't find it. It might have been taken down. 
but apparently he's creating art now. Okay. And he has been encouraged by a pen pal that he has, who is also somewhere in the art business. And they did attempt an actual art exhibition. Of what? Well, he will not... They specifically, he specifically says that he will not do any um, imagery depicting violence. So he does a lot of landscaping. Oh, so this guy's like a reformed scenery. Bob Ross here. I don't, I, I'm just what? like, what? Yes, exactly. Just a big, what? But I couldn't find his Facebook page. So maybe it's like shut down at this point. I did find some other Facebook pages that, um, represented the fact that he'd be freed because he was young and he served his time and he's manipulated and then on the opposite side, right? Like, don't let him be freed. Mm-hmm. Now, Brooks was found guilty of a single murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. And during his sentencing, he showed very little emotion, but his wife, so apparently his fiance, after everything, she was fiance when... Coral got murdered. Oh, I was kind of wondering what was going on. But his on wife was like screaming and crying during the sentencing. Um, he has been denied repeatedly over the years for any type of parole. But we're going to give a shout out to COVID for taking this piece, piece of shit off of our hands finally. Uh. Um, he died on May 28th, 2020, due to COVID. Uh, he did have some known pre existing conditions, but. They they think COVID was the culprit, so at least we don't have to worry about him anymore. COVID karma. That's what they call it. At least there's COVID did something for us. Shit. It's been a year, but you know what? So that's my crazy story of the Candyman. And I could have went on for hours and hours and hours. It's so much. I had no idea what I was getting into. No. I had no idea what I was getting into tonight. <laughs> I had no you idea. You didn't expect that. Oh, no, I did not expect that. And because it's very dark and unhappy. So next time I will bring you a very lighthearted Halloween <laughs> story. If you can even call anything we talk about lighthearted, I guess. But, yes, that was, that was, wow. That was out there. This is why they've not made a movie about... And have, have they done any Netflix or oh, ID specials? So on apparently like they did a Mindhunter. I know you're a fan of Mindhunter. Love Mindhunter. There's a Mindhunter of some sort. Um, I don't. There, there's some little it's and bits here. I mean, they did Mindhunter that... on the Atlanta child murders, which this reminded me a little bit of, only because there were so many and there was. So they mentioned the Atlanta no... child murders, and then they said they do like a snippet of this in that. Okay, maybe I missed it. They make, like, a reference, I think, to it. Yeah. But it's not been done as, like, a full series. There's a ton of books out there. Um, But you can only... You can't make this into a movie. No. God, no. No, you can't. You You can't. can't. I couldn't even read a book about it. I, I got my fill entirely right now. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to work really hard to forget this one. I'm going to have to do some was... serious meditation tonight because... That was... I Honestly, I, as much as when we talk, and this is conversation style, 
I don't know if anybody out there listening could tell, but there were a lot of moments where I really had not, I was not sure what to say. I had no words and I tried to have words and they might not have made any sense. No, but I get it because I didn't know exactly how much to share because I wanted everyone and you to know what a horrific. So there's a very special place in hell for this this man oh and i there better be and yeah wow wow but you know what um i will never think of the candy man the same way i know i ruined it right but i was like candy lollipops Mm. i think willy wonka and then it's like (laughs) oh so there's dark yeah um yeah well i don't know speaking of candy i know it's a little bit of a twist but well, I guess we'll see what happens Halloween. I, I don't know. think we're going to be doing any trick-or-treating. I don't know. Some places around us are like... I don't know that I can even... buy pixies anymore either. Like, Fannie Mae, you might be dead to me too. I'm sorry. No pecans. No pe- No turtles. No, no pecans. Duh, damn you. Well, I will tell you, so, quick fun side note, because I love those. There's also another candy man known as the Halloween killer of Halloween. I don't know how else they word it, but he actually poisoned his own children on Halloween with pixie sticks. What? Yeah. Are you going to tell that one next? <laughs> no, I think I'm done. <laughs> like I said, I'm going to go with something a little bit... Just a little lighter. Just a little lighter. I don't know. It's hard to find something lighter, but sometimes when you, you get too far in before you realize how dark it is, and then... Mm, well, if that was the... The lighthearted, fluffy version. I really am so glad that you didn't share all the details. But I think everything came across. We got we got it. And I hope I didn't give you too many nightmares because I know they were pretty bad. But this also goes along the line where we're always talking about um, letting our kids, like we want everyone, our kids, other parents to see the signs of, of someone being groomed, right? Like yes. you need to be able to pick up the signs of, of a bad guy. And he was all around a bad guy. And there was so many signs. And you know what? I really... We talk about how that's obvious today. But I don't know that it's always obvious to people today. I mean, there there are people that, yes, they ask me what we do. And I talk to them. And we've gotten into further co- long conversations. And I realize there's a lot of naive people out there that really don't know a lot about this. No. And so if you're hearing some of these things and you're seeing some of these people in your lives that maybe don't like true crime... But could use a little point in the right direction on some things with their kids and keeping things safe and help them out. Like, let them know, hey, you know, here's a little website for you to take a look at. Or here's a little, you know, something, right? Yeah, I mean, the the more you know, the safer you are. I mean, we say that all the time, and unfortunately. People, if, if somebody is paying more attention to kids at a family reunion... I hate to say it, a lot of times it is family. It's people that are close to you. It's people you would never in a million years suspect would do anything to harm your child. It's friends of the family. It's it's people, neighbors, people that are close. I hate to say that, but you need to give your kids examples and you need to, to use real names of people that they know and trust so that they realize, oh, if Uncle Johnny or mm-hmm. Uncle you know, Frankie or Uncle George. Oh my gosh, all the questions I ask my children. Right. What if Uncle so-and-so asked you to go in the basement to help him with this? Yes. What would you say? Because adults don't ask kids for help. No. I mean, there's just a million things out there. But And hopefully this podcast can also bring to light all of those things to keep yes. everyone safe. Maybe we'll put a link underneath this 
episode just for people to go look at for grooming purposes. I'm going to put you in charge of that. Find a good link and we'll stick it on our website. You guys can take a look. But yeah, do your best to enjoy this Halloween. Uh, You know, maybe have a small gathering with friends that you trust. Have make it make it a fun time for you and the kids. You know, until next time. We'll finish this bottle of wine that I got wrinkled yes. and salted over. <laughs> maybe I'll Google some fillers. <laughs> and uh yeah, just uh be safe out there. And if you have enjoyed listening to our episodes, please hop onto iTunes, give us five stars. We only let you know that it's five stars because there's people out there that I love who think one star is the best, but really it's five. Give us a good review. We would really appreciate it. We're just getting started, and and that would be amazing. So thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. See ya.